Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Stricken Roll. I'm your host, Shwinipu. This is episode 28. I'm joined by a first-time guest on the pod. His name is Dan Favali. Dan, how are you doing? I am doing spectacular. How are you doing? Uh, I am doing... I'm hanging in there, you know? I am hanging in there. Uh, just so everybody knows, you can follow Dan on Twitter, at Dan Favali. Uh, he is a writer for Bleacher Report, uh, and also subscribe to Hardwood Knox, his podcast. Um, before we get started, I have to make a few announcements. The Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. We're posting all types of new content on there. You can follow us at thestrick.land on Instagram. We also have a YouTube page where you may be watching this very podcast. Uh, hit like, subscribe, help us get to 1,000. That would be a massive help. We also have a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are multiple tiers. There's the $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. Uh, because you know what? The Knicks never stop doing shit. Uh, you also get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week that is hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. the Doug Bag. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, this podcast right here, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You, more importantly, get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Cuntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, now, with all of that out of the way, uh, Dan, one, thanks for coming on. Two, uh, I wanted to have you on because, actually, you wrote two articles very early in the season that I thought nailed a lot of the... I would say a lot of how fans were feeling about the team, where there was like this... Kind of like you're like, well, we're trying to be good, which maybe is okay, but the way we're going about it fucking sucks. Um, and I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because, so obviously this week, uh, you know, Tibbs comes out, he says, okay, Cam's out of the rotation, Derek Rose is out of the rotation, but we are replacing him, we're replacing them with Deuce McBride, and there was a lot of people that were really pissed off about this, and I understood that. But I actually thought this was a very, like, it was like the thing that they hadn't done. And it was that they had made a hard decision. They had benched a player who they paid real money. Um, they 
basically picked a 22-year-old guard over the 23-year-old wing that they traded a first-round pick for. And also, obviously, this season they had also benched Evan Fournier. So, and again, like I want to say, because I thought everything you said in those in those two pieces were completely accurate. But I actually feel much better about the Knicks right now than I did before this. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on where you stand on that. Yeah, I think when you look at most of the stuff that I was ranting and raving about in those pieces, like a lot of it has changed. Like you mentioned, like Fournier and Rose just don't play anymore. They've gotten a little bit more experimental with some of their lineups. I think the Deuce McBride move in particular, and then even like going with Quentin Grimes at points when he's not necessarily scoring um, as well for stretches. Uh, that I don't know if that's like a mandate from the front office or if Tibbs is just open-minded. I think we can also quibble about some of the stuff as like, well, is the offense ever inventive enough? Um, and I think there's, you know, having a good stretch right now, but there's just the Julius Randle elephant in the room that Tibbs, I don't think is ever going to be the coach to actually take care of. But I don't think you look at the rotation or at least the playing time decisions and you can't quibble too much. Like he has explored the depths of this roster uh, more so than he did, you know, when we were, it was only like seven games or 10 games in the season when I wrote the first one, but they were just so unbelievably bad and directionless with the roster they had. And I thought the best way of framing it was the Knicks gave him an imperfect hand this season. Like there are just, there's so many options on the roster. You just, you know, you were just talking about it. He was just playing it horribly, even by those standards. I think he's done a better job of playing it. Um, and I don't know that I, you know, you're saying you feel, I guess, better about the the state of the Knicks. I feel like I, I would probably agree with you. I guess just with it's so hard to separate like what's happening on the court versus like you have the rumors coming out of the athletic where it doesn't, you know, it's good that they're trying to trade players, I guess, that aren't in the rotation, but you still kind of struggle to understand their direction when, when someone, I think like Emmanuel quickly is just floating around um, the trade rumor either there where it's like, well, they're trying to get a first round pick or maybe use him to get off of Fournier. And so their decision-making process there still leaves me really curious and, and unsettled. But I do think that, uh, I do think that the roster or at least the direction of the roster that's in place is definitely more comforting than it was like a month ago or whatever it was. Yeah. And I think the Emmanuel quickly thing is interesting. Um, I'm a huge quickly fan. Uh, I have been begging and pleading for them to play him more going back to his fucking rookie season. And definitely last year when we decided that Alec Burks needed all the point guard minutes. Um, but I think so. One, like, I don't think quickly is getting traded in season. Like, I just don't see it for a few particular reasons. But, like, the biggest one is, and we know this, and this was part of like your criticism, which I thought was fair, uh, is that this front office, we know this, they want to win basketball games. Uh, and I will say this, like, I think that is like a thing from Dolan. If you look at all the front offices he's hired, they basically have been allowed maybe one tank season, which has generally been their first season. And then after that, they are always trying to win basketball games. And usually they do it in the stupidest way possible. Um, but like for that reason, I think he's too important to them right now in season in the service of winning basketball games to trade. And because of the rotation decisions they've made now, I just don't see it. Like, and, and like, what I will say is this is like, if, if there's some world where they can trade quickly and Fournier and a couple of the protected picks or something for an OG and an OB or something like or a player of that ilk, a younger veteran who is locked in on a contract who they would have, you know, bird rights to sign all that kind of stuff. 
yeah, I could see that. I could see that because that would not be them making a move that necessarily hurts their chances of winning basketball games this year. But in, if it's just like, hey, let's trade quickly to get a first-round pick, uh, I, look, they might eventually do that anyway. But to me, that is the type of move that they probably would look at doing around the draft and maybe even at the draft specifically, uh, where there's more, one, you know exactly where those picks are. Uh, and two, like, look, let's let's be honest. The Knicks have obviously a very good chance of they could make the playoffs. They could very well not make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, let's say they land the 11th pick again. Um, is there a world where maybe they love somebody like, you know, I'm not a huge draft guy, but like maybe they love Jairus Walker or something. And they feel like, you know what, we need to get up to seven to get him. Maybe you trade the 11th pick in Emmanuel quickly or something, and that gets you to that range. Would I love that? No, I wouldn't love it. But at the same time, I would at least respect that move because it's like, hey, we're taking a chance on a kid that we think is a star talent in the draft, and we're, we're, we're putting our money where our mouth is. You know, I would hate to lose quick, but I would at least respect that. I would hate if they traded him in season for like, some protected because you're not going to get your one if you get an unprotected pick it's going to be from like the celtics you know what i mean it's not yeah, going to be like the Suns. yeah 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 like number 28 yeah. right you're not going to get an unprotected pick from a team that has a chance of being in the lottery so you're probably looking at a protected pick you've got four of those right now in, in your you know back pocket with the dallas pick and the three you got from the okc trade at, on draft night so like i don't i just don't see that happening in season um do I think that it could happen in the offseason down the line? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is the NBA. Like, the odds are 95% of players get traded. That is the reality of the league. That's the reality of everything. Um, and I guess, like, I guess what I would ask you is so you've got these rumors about quickly, but like, do you? I'm sure you saw people like losing their minds about the Cam Reddish thing. And I get it. And I've said this, like, I think clearly the front office and Tibbs, they mismanaged that entire situation from acquiring him to whatever the hell the state of things is now. Maybe he'll be back in the rotation since Obi is out, but we'll see. Um, do you think like, I guess the, the way I've thought about this is, okay, you clearly mismanaged the situation. But is it possible that like getting getting to a better place, a healthier place as an organization involves just accepting that and moving on? Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of teams struggle in front offices specifically to backtrack on mistakes or just accept them um, quickly enough and not to throw quickly's name in there, uh, ironically, <laughs> but uh, like they're not doubling down on it. Like doubling down would just be like, uh, like the Cam Reddit situation would be like, are you attaching something to Cam to just try and have someone else in the roster that you view that you can keep? Or are you forcing him to play when maybe you don't think he's the right fit for the offense, even if he's bringing you like a lot of um, dynamism on, on defense. So I do think there's value in sort of just saying, Hey, look, this is a sunk cost. Uh, you can also point to the fact that that Charlotte pick just might be two seconds at this point, which helps them. Like that does not, that does not look like a team that's going to be even sort of good anytime soon. And so to take a swing and they did try and play him a little this year. Um, I, I think that that there's total value in that. And it's also Tibbs is a little bit absolved from it just because they never gave him a roster that was designed to have any sort of clarity, especially if you want veterans to play, but it was just, it's this weird mix of like veterans and then guys who aren't super young. They're like late into their contracts, but they're still sort of intriguing. And then like actual prospects that you need to play. 
Um, so there's definitely just like to, you know, even if they don't trade him and he's just not playing, I think you mentioned the top of the podcast, there's value in just being like, Hey, Cam Reddish is in the rotation right now. Like this is the direction that we've decided to go. The, the thing that I do worry about with quickly specifically, and I'm kind of with you where I might be surprised if he's moved this, this season, because I do think the Knicks are you know, more so on the prowl for a bigger trade. And that market just doesn't exist at the moment. Like if you weren't going to give up the full boat for Donovan Mitchell, you're not giving up the full boat for Bradley Beal or, or Zach Levine in the middle of the season. If the, if one of those two becomes available, but they've now played this interesting game where I do think around the league. And we saw this with the Donovan Mitchell trade talks. It's not so much there with Obi anymore when he's healthy, but like there's a discrepancy between how the Knicks view their players. And then like how the rest of the league views their players. I think in part, because they've repressed the value of a lot of their players with inconsistent playing time, um, with the way that they actually play when they use them. And I think you run into an issue where if we're looking at the value of Emmanuel quickly, specifically, we could say like, yeah, I wouldn't trade him for just a protected first round pick. That's going to be in the the low twenties uh, or high twenties, however you want to frame it. But like who else is giving you more than that? Or who else is valuing Emmanuel quickly in a trade that highly. And now you've waited for so long and Emmanuel quickly's next deal is coming like he, him and Obi are extension eligible this off season. So that's going to drive down their value. Even if you're saying, well, we know where the draft picks are. We know where our draft pick is. We have a better lay of the, the trade landscape. They have one cost controlled year left um, before teams have to make a decision. And the way that things work right now, teams want to make that decision before they ever get to restricted free agency. And that's where I think they've, they failed in the sense that no, these guys should not have been groomed just to be traded, but you should also have a better idea of how they fit into your bigger picture. Or like you should have played them enough or gave them consistent enough roles that other teams view them as, because I do think that Obi and Emmanuel quickly are actually underrated. This is not, Oh, they play in New York and they get the bump. I actually think that both of them. And again, not so much Obi this season with the stuff he's on, but like they've been pulled back because of their situation in New York. Um, but there would be, I think their value and then, you know, how they're actually viewed would be closer together had the Knicks done a better job with them. And with quickly specifically, but just because he's been in and out of rumors so many times already, independent of like the Knicks getting a star, I would be reticent to just say, oh, I don't think they'll move in the middle of the season because I don't really understand how this team values him themselves at this point, which is just a, a really weird thing to say this late into his career and based off everything we've seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... One thing, and I get this, like, I think it is hard to nail this stuff in the NBA. Uh, and let's be real, like, you get picked 25th, that inherently makes you come in with an organization, you're just not a priority when you're picked that late in the draft. That's not like, and that's not a Nick specific thing. That is, mm-hmm. like, you look at somebody like Peyton Pritchard, I think I think he's a really solid player. I've actually suggested, like, he'd be somebody I'd be interested in the Knicks looking to acquire. But, like, He's a good player. The Celtics are a really fucking good team. But so they just, there's like a, hey, like we have different priorities than trying to get you on the floor and maximizing your opportunities. Um, obviously, the Knicks are in a very different position than the Celtics. But the point is, like, when you're drafted at that point in any draft, like, you're just less of a priority to our organization. So it becomes harder to, like, nail down, like, okay, wow, like, quickly, like, look, he came in as a rookie. First of all, when he got picked, there were a lot of people that are like, this is a reach. This is a Kentucky pick. What the hell are the Knicks doing? Uh, I actually loved him in that draft. I 
pretty confident I had him higher than anybody else I've ever seen. Uh, I had him 20th on my board, which is the last board I'll ever be doing because everything else on that board sucked. Um, <laughs> but like, but like I, I like, I loved him in that draft. And, um, and even then, like I loved him, I had him 20th, you know, but he comes in, he obviously is awesome as a rookie. Um, and I think obviously like, look, his rookie year, they obviously, they win 41 games. It's a really tough thing to navigate. Like, I, I'm, I know for sure that like they did not, that their intention that season was not to win 41 games, make the playoffs, have home court advantage. That was not the intention. That was not their plan. That was not their expectation. They did. I think that changed some of the calculus. And because it changed some of the calculus, I think it made it harder for them to commit to, okay, quickly had a really nice rookie year. Let's put him in position to have a bigger role this next year. Because mm-hmm. you're trying to navigate, okay, we want to keep playing him, but we also, now we have this momentum, like, we don't want to lose that momentum. We know that everything they chose to do that offseason basically did not work out as expected, to say the least. Um, and they have since pivoted in a variety of different directions and unloaded a lot of those contracts. And also, uh, like, as we talked about, Forney and Rose are just not in the rotation. Um, so, like one, like, so I think they really struggled with okay, we're good, but do we trust these young players to help us keep this momentum going? I think they chose wrong. I think they should have, especially in Quickly's case. I think there was a lot of evidence his rookie season, and since then even more, that he is a driver of success. He's not just on the court when good things happen. He is a reason good things happen. Um, and like, I think where they have struggled with that is where an organization like Memphis specifically is really good at right like they traded Grayson Allen which I thought like they didn't get they got like well like a second round pick or something for him they didn't get shit for him really and I was like I remember at the time I was like that's a great trade for Milwaukee it still is a great trade for Milwaukee and I was like I'm not sure like are are we sure that Desmond Bain is ready yet for this role and he was he really really was he's obviously you know he's out right now but like what was he averaging like 25 and five or something this year he's just on fire um but like that is a thing that they've consistently done, right? Like this year they drafted David Roddy and they're like, okay, we're just going to play you right now because we have some injuries and we'll just see what happens. But they are really good at creating pathways for their younger players and actually even being proactive about it by clearing out a space for them. Um, And like, look, Memphis is a really good example of it. There are teams like, I think Houston, they're trying to be Memphis really bad. I'm, I don't really like, a lot of things going on down there, but like, it's really hard to nail that stuff. But I, I agree with you. I think it's fair to say like with, especially in Quickly's case, they really sucked at it. But, but given the decisions they've made now, I will say this quickly is going to have every opportunity now, as long as he's here to one, get his shots up, get his touches up and really show out because like when Rose was there, there was always this weird thing of like, is he the point guard? Is Rose the point guard? And then the first sub back out would be like Brunson in for Rose. And obviously when Brunson's in, he's the point guard. So it's like, what is going on? Deuce McBride is a developing player. Uh, his, I, I think, he, I mean, look, he, he's going to shoot better than whatever the hell he shot because it is impossible to shoot worse. Um, but like, he's still figuring out how to get his usage up, when to take shots, which shots he should take. And because of that, I think quickly and him in those minutes, like quickly is going to have to take on a lot of the shot creation burden. And so for that reason, like I actually think now again, for as long as he's here and we'll see, um, 
he's going to have a really big opportunity. And they've cleared that opportunity for him, whether it be circumstance or just an active, proactive decision on their part. So I am really curious to see how he does over the next 15, 20 games. Yeah, and that's what makes it more confusing for me, though, because I would say at the moment it feels like a proactive choice because like Derrick Rose and Evan Fournier are still there, and Tibbs' inclination would be to play Derrick Rose and Evan Fournier. The fact that they're not in the rotation, like that opens up minutes. And the fact that Cam Red is like, you know, someone else who can play, you know, the two or like some of the wing spots, like there's more they've decided, like we are going to prioritize Emmanuel quickly to some extent. And yet it's at the same time that his name is just floating around in trade rumors where the asking price has been like, oh, well, they would like a protected first round pick or they would like to get off Evan Fournier. And then when you hear that asking price, and we know how things get jumbled, like when they're through the media, but the fact like that, this is coming from Fred Katz of the athletic is reporting something like this. It's that's what just makes it more confusing to me because then what is what is the end game? What is your what is your goal when moving Emmanuel quickly? Is it just because you're worried about the clock sort of resetting on his value because that next contract is coming up because he's extension eligible? And I think that's what I've struggled to to grapple with. And it's just I mean I'm with you. It's even like I value Emmanuel quickly now probably for stuff that I didn't even really value him for when um you know he came into league when he had a better than anticipated rookie season like yeah there's still the element of just like him injecting this variability into the offense when you can look at his shot shot selection from different levels but it's also just like this dude defends his butt off and that's absolutely huge um especially at you know people wax and wane on how important is guard defense but like when you look at um how some of the other players on the Knicks have defended this year like his energy has been a breath of fresh air there and that's the other thing is just like, wasn't well, that something that like Tibbs is supposed to value and this front office is supposed to value? <laughs> they have a very guard heavy roster that I don't think was, you know, they're co- we can look at the contracts they gave out to veterans. Like they have a lot of young talent, you know, looking at the twos, two spots that could spend time there. If you don't view manual quickly as solely a ball handling guard um, where it could just naturally be tough to carve out minutes for all these guys. I just don't Emmanuel quickly has this, what feels like probably the clearest path to being an integral part of what this team is doing on a night to night basis. And yet his name is just in trade rumors, not linked to anything that would f- materially change the Knicks's own direction. Like what is, you know, I don't, th- I wouldn't do this, but like, just because the reports that like, if they end up using Emmanuel quickly to get out of the final year, guaranteed year of Evan Fournier's contract, what is actually the point of doing that? Right. Right. And I, I think, the, so it's actually really interesting you bring that up because in the Cats piece, and this is where you're talking about like it's hard to figure it out. In the Cats piece, he actually specifically says, he explicitly states the Knicks are not desperate to get off the Evan Fournier contract. That actually, they've even had conversations with teams about we'll take on a worse contract if you attach an asset. And then you also get later in the piece exactly what you're talking about. Like they would consider attaching quickly or Cam with Fournier to move off the deal. And I guess like where I get with that is would they attach quickly with Fournier just to get off his contract? No. I think they would like do that if they thought whatever was coming back was going to help them. I would assume that given like, you know, when you attach quickly to Fournier, you have to match the salary coming back, that that would be in the service of like I mentioned earlier like like forget OG because that's a player that everybody always talks about. Like maybe that's like, hey, we love Keldon Johnson. Let's go attach quickly and Fournier to go get Keldon Johnson from the Spurs or something like along those lines. I could see that. I would again. I would just be really nothing they have done, and even in that piece, nothing in there indicates to me that they're just like desperate to move off Evan Fournier's contract. And and quite frankly, if you just look at their cap sheet, like yes, I understand they're over the cap, but like 
this year, right? Rose comes off the books. Next year, Fournier would come off the books. So even if you were in a situation where you're like, we're not sure we, what we want to pay quickly, by the time you pay quickly, if you do pay him, both those guys are off the books. Like you don't have to deal with them. They're they're gone. So I I, I do like I don't know. There's a lot going on there. Um, we've t- spent a lot of time talking about quickly. I think it's worth talking about. Like, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. There's obviously a lot of angst among the Knicks fan among the Knicks fans of like, what is our direction? Where are we going? What's going on? And I think it's fair to to throw that out there because as we talked about, there's a lot of mixed signals coming from the front office and stuff. Um, but I wonder how much of this is just solved and how much of this is really about the fact that let's be honest, you pay RJ Barrett a nice little extension. He's entering his fourth year. You, me, Knicks fans, the front office, Tibbs, probably everybody was expecting. I wasn't expecting a star leap, but I was expecting some type of leap and that has not happened. He's in. In fact, I would argue this has maybe been this has been his worst season since his rookie year so far. Um, how much of this, like, do you feel like a lot of this angst is just fixed by RJ getting his shit together? Uh, I mean, yes, because I think even at the peak of Julius Randle, like before he gets the extension, we're going through his most improved player campaign. RJ Barrett has so long been the single most important person to that franchise because he is either your ticket to grooming that blue chip cornerstone or was supposed to be the centerpiece of a deal that would or be intriguing enough to be the centerpiece of a deal that would net you that player. And when you pass on acquiring that player in Donovan Mitchell, which is like, I don't even mean to rehash that. That gets rehashed all the time. And I was just on board with them, whether it was on accident or on purpose that they didn't get Donovan Mitchell. I thought the opportunity cost relative to where the Knicks were just was too high to have RJ Barrett come out of this season. When you know that like he was extended in the face of the jazz, still being kind of interested in him. It's discouraging. I do wonder the two things is just like after him seeing his name, just float around those trade rumors the entire time, knowing he was available. And then like they kind of extended him as like a contingency or an FU to Utah or whatever it was. I wonder how much of that is just sort of like rattling a little bit, but I also just wonder how much of it is just like, all right, well now you've thrown another wrench into this guy's career. When you're looking at the structure of your offense, where he's kind of notoriously started slow. And then they've given him a little bit more control over the offense as the season has gone on, but you threw in Jalen Brunson, who has been, uh, you know, not to use this phrase, but like a breath of fresh air for the seniors to have that type of organizer. I was critical of like the, again just the end game of where they thought they were going with Jalen Brunson as their best player but there was never about the contract like the money it was Jalen Brunson's been great especially seeing someone so off topic we actually put pressure on set defenses in crunch time it's like I haven't seen that in forever so even when he's missing I'm just like you know what I'm gonna take it like I just like see watching that yeah and Um, I, I actually think he's like struggled a little bit at times recently especially where it feels like he's trying really hard to be a point guard and it's like Dude, I don't care if you're open from like anywhere relatively close to the like in the paint around the paint. I just want you shooting. I don't care if I don't care if Mitchell Robinson is at the rim wide open for a, a fucking lob. Just I want you to shoot that, and Mitch will get the rebound if you miss. Don't worry about it. Yeah, um, I'm I'm totally with you there, and with RJ specifically, I've probably been most disappointed in his defense this year, which has just had like. I guess kindly would be peaks and valleys, but there's just been a lot where it's like, what the heck is going on here? Like when you're looking at kind of his stances or just like, you know, it looks like Julius Randall's efforts, like infected <laughs> RJ Barrett at points. Um, 
on offense, I don't want to say I'm inclined to give him a pass, but I think because the hierarchy has changed a little bit and that Randall is still a very heavy part of this offense, I'm just so curious to see what RJ could do um, in more lineups that have not only better spacing, but like a different kind of three-point volume around him. Because I do think that when you have him and Brunson and even Randall, like guys who are so conditioned to get inside the arc, you're throwing Mitchell Robinson, or even if Jericho Sims is playing into that equation, it just gets it gets inherently cramped. And so I still think that if you create a better half court ecosystem for him, uh, that there's a way to optimize him that we haven't seen yet. And so I don't want to say I'm inclined to give him a pass this year, but the offensive stuff is just like, I just, I need to see it in a different environment for long enough to believe like, all right, well, he's like, I don't know what he's supposed to be on offense at this point. Like, no, I don't think it's going to be a tier one on ball guy, but it's someone who's like, if that's your number two off of Brunson and like, you're able to, ensure that he's playing with you know three functional shooters at all points like i do think there's more damage for him to do but that is to answer the question you're saying if rj barrett was having just this let's say the same season that he closed last year with and maybe he's improving like improves his finishing clip around the rim like that becomes huge for this franchise and maybe you're viewing it a lot differently but not having that blue chip cornerstone who fits both ends of a timeline like calling it the now and later where it's here Jalen Brunson's really good but like how old is he during the iteration of the Knicks when they're they're ready to contend like you're looking for that younger guy that has also the the un the pleasant unknownness to him where it's oh he's he's good now but like if we need a top 15 player top 20 player like that's him Jalen Brunson's not going to peak as a top 20 player and the fact that I think it was probably a long shot RJ would have gotten there even heading into this season, but he seems so far away from it more so than he did at the end of last year. Uh, that's definitely unsettling. And I think this roster, even though I, we both are in favor of like a lot of the rotation decisions they've made, it does still feel like it has a, you know, and it's, it's one spot. Maybe it's even one player we're talking about at this point, maybe two, but it just feels like there's a pathway towards optimizing the makeup that they need to explore regardless of whether they think that they're trying to win now or actually catering to the big picture. Yeah. Um, I, I think with, with the RJ thing um, with his, like, so I'm I actually, I, I, I'm curious to pick your mind on this. I had like a random hypothesis and it was based on, I'm just looking at his class. Right. And so he gets an extension for 108. Jordan Poole got four one forty. Keldon Johnson got 472 or something. Uh, and I think those three guys are pretty interesting because those three have struggled this year in a lot of like, like I know Keldon got off to an awesome start and then had just fell off a cliff for a while. He looked a little bit better yesterday when I watched that Spurs game, but like, you know, they've all struggled with consistency, decision-making. And a lot of times when I'm watching them, especially Poole and RJ, it feels like I'm watching guys that are trying every time they touch the ball to like prove that they're worth their contract and maybe they're actually even underpaid. And mm. do you think there's something to that? Like, or am I just totally fucking off the, off the, you know, off the rails here? Uh, I think there could definitely be something to that. And it's just like, I mean, we've seen it with RJ where it feels like his decision-making on drives just changes almost by the game. It's like, oh, he can get tunnel vision, but then sometimes he's he's not going to have it. And so I don't know if there's an element there of trying to prove something, but I think the, I guess like the, the fluctuating nature of his mode of attacks 
seems to hint at something other than, okay, well, this isn't just the roster construction around him necessarily. It's a, is it a mindset thing? So I would think that that's totally fair to wonder. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah, you're right. And it it is game to game. Like I thought after the Portland game, which was honestly, that might've been my least favorite RJ game ever. Um, but like, I thought after that he had, he put together a stretch of games where didn't feel like he was forcing it. Even when he was struggling from the field, you know, he found ways to be generally, if not a positive, not a negative. And then like, and then you watch this last game where they play, you know, Atlanta who they might as well have just given up the moment that DeJounte Murray went out because God damn, that team is not playing for Trey young at all. Um, but like you watch that game and it's like, it's like, it didn't matter because the Knicks beat the shit out of them anyway, but you're watching that game and you're like, it felt like RJ's looking at, you know, who is on the floor against him. And he's like, okay, these guys all suck. I should be able to get mine right now. He had zero assists in that game. I think he might've been the only guy in the rotation, like the actual rotation that didn't have an assist. And he's like, it's again, it's like you go from like, oh wow, he's putting together a string of games where whatever his flaws are, he's making better decisions on drives. And then you watch that game and you're like, why are you taking fadeaways over Onyeko Kongu? Like what, why is that a thing you're doing? Um, and it's, it's really frustrating because you're like, I just want him like, you really need him to put together 10, 15, 20, put together, give me a month. Just give me a month of like, I don't forget the efficiency, forget the shooting numbers, just be a good decision maker for a month. And we haven't seen that yet or even close to it from him. Yeah. And I don't even know how to diagnose that. Like, is that like at this point it's, do you, are you trying to get like, are you pulling him? if he's like making a string of those plays where it's just terrible decision-making where it doesn't look like his feet or his body is turned like are set or his body's turned the right way on defense. Um, I was pretty critical when they, the, I, mean, I can't remember what game that was, but like, they just don't play Barrett again. And Evan Fournier is just like on the court. And so like that, we, we seem to be like pretty past past that at the moment, but I, I I'm at a loss for an answer with him. I do still think that it does come down a little bit too the offensive structure, but even when he's having the opportunities or the balls in his hands, like you don't feel confident in it. And I think part of me wonders is also just like, is he trying to prove to the Knicks or to himself that like some of these shots that he's taking need to be a part of his game when very clearly like they don't like any off the dribble jumpers or like fit like that doesn't need to be RJ Barrett's game. Like he needs to be more of the, and I don't think it's a perfect comparison, but he needs to be more of a Jimmy Butler type who just sort of understands like when you get defenses in rotation going downhill, things are going to open up for you if you get to the foul line or just even getting the basket or he's actively, you just watch Jimmy Butler and like the decisions he's making. And a lot of it's after, you know, there are reads that I don't think RJ can make like the reads Jimmy Butler makes after he leaves his feet are just, you know, incredible, but he creates this chaos and he's able to set up teammates that way. And it opens up things for the rest of his game. And that's without having either a high volume jumper or when you're outside the postseason, an efficient jumper. And then the postseason rolls around. He just decides to hit threes for some reason. I don't understand that, but it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, and you know, and I felt like we were, even though the efficiency wasn't great with RJ, I thought he had turned the corner by the end of last year towards that, or even like in the new year, because I feel like we saw a lot of that from him. Um, and I don't know why it feels like that has, I don't even want to know that it's say that it's changed because you can see that mindset still being there. But I feel like the word is, you know, it's, it's just, this feels like the most seesaw season season of his career, which is like, if you start breaking down the splits, where it's like the first seven games or whatever, he was awful. And then it was the next five are completely different. And then the next five are completely different. But then there's like one or two that are so different from that. Um, it's hard to get a hold 
for me personally, on like trying to prognosticate here and be like, well, what's the pathway to him getting better? I still think there's a way to build the roster where it's his opportunity maybe remains the same, but like it changes by virtue of those around him. Uh, but aside from that, his season is kind of just like this very unsettling mystery to me because it does. I think as of right now, as we record this, it feels like he has taken a, you know, a few steps back compared to the way that he finished last season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just so we know, the NBA season is heating up and there are still so many unknown things going on. Like, are the Clippers good? Are we sure the Clippers are good? What is going on with the Clippers? They're a very interesting team. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, yeah, like, I, I think the RJ thing is, yeah, you're right. Like, it's like, he's sick. Now he's healthy. Now he's not sick. Now he's out of shape. No, he's in shape. I, I, it's all very bizarre. And I'm like, at this point, I'm just like, I, I'll just observe from afar. And I'll wait for after the season. And I guess I'll just decide, like, whether you had a good season or not, because right now it hasn't been. And so he had a closeout against AJ Griffin the other night. That was like one of the worst closeouts I think I've ever watched in my life. It's like, he didn't I I thought you tweet about that. Yeah. I'm thinking of the right play. It it was insane. It was like, you're not, you didn't close out to him to like really cut off his jumper, but then you also didn't close out to like cut off the drive. It was, I don't know what's going on with him, but um, somebody who has been really good and, uh, you know, we talked about the, you mentioned that out of a Mitchell trade earlier, Mr. Untouchable himself, uh, Quentin Grimes. I think he has looked really good since being part of the rotation again. And I'll say this, like during the off season and you know, some of this was about, Oh my God, like the Knicks don't want to put him in the trade or they do, or the, the jazz really want him, whatever it was. I was a little bit like, look, I liked what I saw from him as a rookie, but is this guy really like this level of prospect, like I was probably higher on him than some people. I, I definitely was not the highest on him. Uh, our own draft aficionado, Pres Presidente, he was super high on Grimes in that in that draft. But like, I was like, okay, he had a good rookie year. Definitely a three and D guy. Looks like he's going to play a decade in the league. Are we sure there's more to it? And I got to say, like the stuff he's doing now, and he's not even getting on ball reps yet. But like. I'm just going to throw this out there. Like, I think there's a world where not only is he the Knicks best prospect, I think he might be like super undervalued, maybe not in league circles, but like, I don't think the average NBA fan understands what this dude is doing and how that fits into basically any team in the NBA. Yeah, there's what he does, and I think we saw that a lot with Donovan Mitchell trade talks where it was just kind of this running joke, which when you are talking about a player of Donovan Mitchell's caliber, if you're talking about Quentin Grimes is this sort of breaking point, it is a little bit comical, but like we saw it from other... He's the Mozgov. 
Yeah, like <laughs> so we, we saw just the reaction from other fan bases to that. What he does is just so infinitely scalable, and you can just apply it to any situation and have confidence that he is going to figure out a way to fit in. I would love to see him, and you just run in. This isn't the Knicks' fault. You just run to issues because of the players that have in the roster. Yeah, it'd be cool to see them test the on-ball volume like they were able to in Summer League. But Summer League isn't always a proxy for what's happening in the NBA because you're dealing with more of depth chart concerns Excuse me, with the roster. Um, when he... Look at what he's able to bring you defensively and where he's someone where I think if you watch him, it feels like he defends much bigger than he is. That's absolutely huge. It's just like he's not a traditional wing size player, but you mentioned three and D's like that's a three and D wing already. And then someone who you look at on offense where it's not just like, oh, he needs to be standing still and capitalizing off of what other people are doing. Like he can move. He knows like Seedens has really good floor awareness about him. And if you're able to put him on the ball and give him those reps, like he's shown that he has that type of shake his game and so there's i think nick's fans and i do feel like i'm at least pretty relative to most people who cover the league on a national level i feel like i'm more in touch with nick's fans because i am one of them it felt like people were ready to go there a little bit over the summer it's like well is he like sort of the higher it's highest end prospect that we have on our roster right now um he might be it's like and i just don't know if i have like rj barrett ptsd at this point or if this season has gone so far you know being tugged in all these different directions that it would be you know that I'm a prisoner of the moment there, but the stuff that he does is scales to so many different situations. And there is still that pleasant unknownness where it's like with RJ, we're still waiting on a lot of the same things to stick with him. There's there is in part because of his role in part because he was injured in part because of the structure of the offense, like we don't even have all the information necessary on his game. And that's, that's a good thing because everything he's done has been so just like, you know, aside from, he really struggled offensively to start the year, but when you're dealing with coming back from that absence and being situational or whatever the hell he was at, at that (laughs) point, uh, you gave him a pass there. So I've been really impressed with what I've seen from him lately. And he's like, when you try to project forward for this team, he feels like one of the brightest, if not the single brightest spot when you're trying to fast forward a few years ahead. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me is like, like I watch RJ, and I've always felt this way about RJ is like he's very methodical. Like he he's not a guy that's gonna blow by you. He's not some speed merchant. He's not explosive. And like you know, even when he attacks closeouts, it's like very prodding. With Grimes right now, like, and he looks like he got. He definitely looks like he got more athletic this offseason. Um, especially like his vert, like his explosiveness around the rim. Like he's finishing through contact in ways that, I mean, that was a big knock on him coming out of college is that like, he wasn't a good finisher around the rim. Um, and like, you're watching some of these finishes now. He had one against Atlanta where he, I thought he was about to yam it on somebody at the rim, but he ended up just having a nice little layup, but like he went through the contact. He probably could have dunked it. He just goes for the layup instead, but you're watching some of these things. Like there's a speed to his play and like, his not just his play, but his decision making that pops. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I, I believe Jonathan Macri had this tweet yesterday. I will try to pull it up in a second. But it's like basically that starting lineup with Quentin Grimes is an actual plus. And you know this as a Knicks fan. Every starting lineup we've had in the Tibbs era has been like not good, not good to awful. And right. for him to come in and have that type of impact and kind of just like. I don't want he's definitely not the most important player on the team, but he's kind of like, I, I talked about this. I don't know if you're a football guy, but like there are running backs that play above the scheme, right? Like they're, you know, the, the common knowledge or the common kind of like wisdom is 
you know, offensive line is actually what makes your running game. And so therefore don't play running backs, but like there are running backs, like, you know, Derrick Henry or something, right. Where it's like, yeah, like they need an offensive line, but also they just give you value beyond that. And like, I'm not saying (laughs) I'm not putting (laughs) crimes in that caliber of player, but like he is playing above the scheme in a way. And like, he is giving you value and he's helping provide order. I think in ways that like, like I thought cam actually did a decent job when he was in the starting lineup, but he's not the same type of player. He's not just going to stand in the corner. Like you need to give cam on ball touches and let him drive and slash and stuff like that uh, to get value from him with Grimes. Like he wasn't even shooting well until the last game and you're watching him and you're like, no, we're way better with him on the floor. And that matters. Like this has been my thing with quickly too, is like, even when he's struggling from the field, I'm always just like, I don't care because he's giving you value. He's helping you win games even without that. And if that comes around or when that comes around, you're looking like that it's, it's going to take off. And I think that's the biggest thing with Grimes is like, there is this quick decision-making. There's now this improved athleticism. It looks like to me. And you put that with like the already sturdy defense and, and all these type of things. It's like, I don't know what we're talking about. Like we have, we have, I don't even know if he's played a thousand minutes yet in the NBA, but like, it's, it's kind of like, are we sure that like, like, and like, what, what are we talking about? Who is Quentin Grimes? I don't know. It's, it's really probably the biggest question that is unanswered uh, on this roster right now. And one that like, we probably will have a better idea of by the end of the year. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wallen. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini yeah, it's fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.